Good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we lit our fourth Advent candle, which is the angel candle, or the candle of love. And we're reminded that the reason that God sent his Son into the world is because of his wonderful love for us. When Bob and Jody read and lit the candle for today, they quoted from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, which says that God loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's important for us to remember that the reason that Jesus came was because of our sin and God's love for his creation. Now the past two years on this Sunday, I have chosen to speak on the subject of God's love for us. But this year I feel led to go in a little different direction, although we should never forget about God's love for us. I think that sometimes when we hear the same story over and over and over again, year after year, we, we tend to, to kind of gloss over the details. We've probably all heard the Christmas story from one passage or another so many times that we could probably very easily tell it ourselves, maybe not word for word from the scriptures, but we could probably get the basics of the story down pretty well. For this morning, I would like us to look at just one verse. Now, it's from the same passage that I preached from last week, and it will be very familiar to all of you, I'm sure. But sometimes, there are things in the details of the story that I think can speak to us in maybe different ways than when we hear the whole story all at once. One of the best ways to fight against the tendency to fall asleep during a Christmas sermon on a familiar text is to focus on the details. Sometimes it helps us to, to kind of take out the microscope and study just one small part of the story. And by looking at that one small part, we might see the whole story in a little different light. With that in mind, let's focus our attention on just one verse of Scripture and see what it says to us. It's found in Luke's Gospel account on the birth of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 2, the same passage that I read from last week. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. And you're not going to be standing long because I'm just going to be reading one verse. Luke 2, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Oh Lord, you chose to send your son into this earth in such a, a special way, a way that probably no one saw coming. As we look at this one verse today, Lord, open it up to us, <coughs> draw us closer to you through the hearing of it. And Lord, as I always pray, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Before we dive into this extremely long text for this morning, I want to add a little personal note. I've probably heard this verse read hundreds of times through the years, usually as, as part of the Christmas story as told by Linus to Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas. I've heard it quoted in children's Christmas programs, have seen it printed on Christmas cards, have heard it sung in song, have read it with my family on Christmas Eve before we open our gifts. But whenever I hear this one verse being read, 
a little bell goes off in my head to, as if to, to, to let me know that something just doesn't sound quite right. I know it's right, but it just doesn't sound quite right. Now, context is always important when we're considering Scripture, and the angel has just delivered to the shepherds the greatest news ever given. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And sometimes I think we forget how totally unprepared the shepherds were to hear this message. These were shepherds. They weren't holy men. They weren't wise men. They weren't religiously pious men. They were just simple shepherds. And the Lord chose them to be the first to receive this wonderful, wonderful news. A Savior has been born. The Messiah has come. The Lord from heaven is here among you. And the message was, hey guys, he is right down the road in Bethlehem. That's the message they received. But where in Bethlehem would they find him? How are they to know which baby is the right one? Well, that's where this verse 12 comes in. The angel tells the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. And hearing this story for the first time, I might expect the next words to be something like, uh, the moon is going to turn red, and the stars are going to spell out his name in the sky, and there'll be another alignment of the stars making this big giant arrow that's going to point right to where the child is. Right? Because that's the kind of sign I would want. That's the kind of sign I would want to see. With that kind of sign, there'd be no mistaking where the shepherds were to go. But the shepherds didn't get that kind of sign, did they? What was the sign that the angel gave to them? You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so this statement, to me, brings up some questions. In what way is a, a baby a sign from God? Why would God choose this way of all the possible ways to come to earth? Why does the angel mention that the baby would be wrapped in cloths, or as the King James says, wrapped in swaddling clothes? And why a manger of all places that he could be laid after he was born? I mean, think about this. There were hundreds of people, possibly even thousands, traveling to Bethlehem for this census. There had to be other couples with babies. Jesus couldn't have been the only infant in town. How were the shepherds to know which baby was the right one? Well, I think that Luke 2.12 is telling us that the particular circumstances of Jesus' birth are indeed very important. They're included in the message from God that the angel brought. Because really, Jesus could have been born in any circumstances that God had wanted. So why was the Son of God born as a little baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger? What is God telling us here? Again, the angel said, this will be a sign to you. And somehow the shepherds were able to follow that sign and find the Christ child. But somehow the rest of the world missed the sign, didn't they? We know that the Jewish people had been looking for, they'd been waiting for their promised Messiah to come. They had all the prophecies concerning the coming of this Messiah. Even Herod's scribes, knew that Micah 5.2 predicted that this Christ would be born in Bethlehem. So why didn't they recognize him when he came? 
They missed him altogether. They couldn't see the divine as it was wrapped up in the ordinary. The Jews wanted a sign. They wanted something spectacular, right? Like in the Old Testament when fire was called down from heaven. Or, or when water came gushing out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Or when, when the seas were divided and split and they were able to cross over on dry land. They weren't expecting something as simple as a baby in a manger. God gave them a sign and they missed it. It was too simple for them back then, and I think, sadly, it's maybe a little too simple for many people today as well. Just for a moment, let's suppose that we don't know anything else about the Christmas story except for this one verse, Luke 2.12. If this verse were the only verse we had, what would we know about the birth of Christ? Well, we would know something about his humanity, wouldn't we? The angel said, you will find what? A baby. A baby, and that's all that the Greek says. This word simply means an infant or a newborn child. It's totally ordinary, an ordinary word used to describe the birth of any child. This tells us that Christ came into the world just like all other humans do. Now, even though we speak of the virgin birth, we need to remember that the real miracle occurred some nine months previous when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary at the moment of conception. That's where the miracle took place. Jesus' physical birth was completely normal, or as normal as it could be given the circumstances that we find Joseph and Mary in. Jesus was born into the world in the same way as all other babies are born. A little boy one day came in and asked his mom where he came from. And she wasn't really ready to have that talk with him yet, so she gave him this tall tale about a white feathered stork that brings babies. The boy ran into the next room and asked his grandmother where his mom had come from and received a variation on that same stork story. Then he asked her, well, how about you, Grandma? Where did you come from? And he got the same answer once again. He then went outside and got together with all of his friends and he said, you know what? There hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. <laughs> Jesus' birth was a normal human birth just like any other. To say that Christ was born as a baby brings us face to face with the truth of what we call the Incarnation. God became man in the flesh. Although he was fully God, from all of eternity, the Son of God took on human flesh when he was conceived in Mary's womb and then born in Bethlehem. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. He never ceased to be God even when he laid aside the outward glory of his deity to come to earth. We read about this this morning from Philippians 2. Philippians 2 teaches us about this aspect of the Son of God laying aside his glory to become like one of us. Paul wrote this, talking about Jesus. He said, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. In another translation it says he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In some way, that's still 
a mystery to us. The Lord Jesus Christ was the God-man, two natures joining together in one person, fully God, yet fully man. And this is the central truth of Christianity. God has entered human history in order to provide the way for our salvation. The one thing we could never do, God did for us through his Son. Everything else flows out of this one truth. Because if Jesus had not been born as a human, then he could not have died for our sins. And he wouldn't have needed to rise from the grave. He had to become like us in order to save us. So the Son of God left his place in glory and took up residence in a human body so that he could become the perfect ultimate sacrifice for our sins. But not everybody through the ages has believed that this is true. Back in the first century, there were many who didn't believe that Jesus was actually even human. Did God really become a man? And many people said, no, he didn't. There were a group of people, and we've talked about them before, that were called the Gnostics. And they believed that anything that was physical was evil. Physical body, anything, it was evil. And they taught that God would never ever have taken up residence in a sinful, physical human body. That's why John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he said, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. John was telling his, his first century listeners that those who were teaching that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, that Jesus didn't actually become human, that they were teaching false doctrine and they shouldn't be listened to. Now think about today. In our culture today, we find almost the 180-degree opposite argument, don't we? Almost everyone would agree that Jesus was a man. He existed, he walked on this earth, Many, many would say he was even a great teacher, a great leader, maybe even a man who was sent by God, but most won't believe that he was fully God while he was here on this earth. But again, this is one of the basic beliefs of, beliefs of the Christian faith. Jesus came from heaven and took up residence in a human body so he could become the sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. And our little verse here from Luke 2.12 teaches just that. Jesus was born as a human baby. Now another question that comes out of this verse is why did he have to be wrapped up in cloths? Well, in that day, all newborn babies were wrapped up in cloths or in swaddling clothes. I looked that word to swaddle up in the dictionary. And it literally means, this is what it says, to bind with long, narrow strips of cloth to prevent free movement as with an infant. In Jesus' day, the mothers would do this as a way to help protect their newborn babies from any dangers that they might face and also to help keep them warm. This wrapping restricted the child's movements, but in a world with really little medical care back then, when many babies sadly didn't even make it through their first year, this was a way to provide some type of protection for the infant. So what can we learn from this binding of baby Jesus? 
Was it possibly a foretelling of a time in the future when Jesus would be bound again? Because there would come another time, some 30 to 33 years later, when he would stand before the Jewish authorities, bound and guarded as if he were a common criminal. They brought up false accusations against him. He stood before his accusers with with his hands tied. He was bound up, awaiting the verdict that would end his life. And then when he had been crucified and they took him down from the cross, we're told that Joseph of Arimathea prepared his body and once again wrapped it in strips of cloth. It's no coincidence that he left the world in the same way that he entered the world, bound in strips of cloth and helpless. Oh, but you might say Jesus wasn't helpless. He was fully man and fully God. He wasn't helpless. He could have called out at any time for his father to send down a thousand angels and rescue him from his accusers. And he could have. But he didn't. He didn't. Even as a man, he was one with his father in heaven, accomplishing his father's will. In fact, Jesus even told his followers once, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And Jesus knew what he had come to earth to do for us. So at least for me, his swaddling clothes in the manger point the way to a later day when he would be bound and guarded and paraded before rulers that would mock him. He was then bound to a scourging post as he received the beating from the guards. He was then bound to the cross by the nails in his hands and his feet. And then his body was bound once again in long linen strips before they laid him in the tomb. Is there a connection between his being bound as an infant and his being bound as an adult? I think there is. But the amazing thing is that when Jesus died on the cross as a human being and as a man was laid in the tomb, bound by those strips of linen, his humanity was bound up in death. But there were no strips of cloth strong enough to keep his deity down. I think his binding as a baby was a foreshadowing of his binding as an adult. And just as he grew out of those bindings as any normal child would and didn't need them anymore, he also broke free of the binding in the tomb when he rose from the dead to conquer death on our behalf. He was bound as an infant for his own protection, and he broke his bonds as an adult, as the risen Savior for ours. The message of Christmas should always be seen in the light of the cross and the empty tomb. This leads us to the third thing I want us to see from this verse. Why a manger? Why of all places was was the Lord of all creation laid in a manger after he was born? Think of that scene. Go back with me there. Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem. They found that there were no rooms available anywhere because of the census. So they found the only place where there was a little protection from the elements. A stable that might have been nothing more than a small cave carved out of a hillside where animals were kept. But they were out of the cold, and they settled in there. And soon it was time for the baby to be born. And Mary probably went through labor pains like any mother would. But soon the moment arrived, and she cried out, straining with all of her might, and then she fell back onto the blanket, and there was silence. Then a tiny sound, then a whimper, and then a baby's cry. 
And it was a boy, a beautiful, brand new baby boy. Joseph maybe held the baby up for Mary to see. Maybe she said, she said let me hold him. And as she did, she, she maybe lay there for a moment. And soon the, the sleep that she had fought for hours came to her eyes and, and the stress of that long trip finally caught up with her. And more than anything in the world, she just wanted to hold that baby and, and lay down and sleep. But before she did, she maybe picked up a, a rough piece of cloth and began to, to tear it into strips. Or maybe they had already done that ahead of time, preparing for this. We're not really told. But she wrapped the baby Jesus in those swaddling clothes. And then she looked for a place to lay him down. She looked for a place to lay him down, and the only place she could find was a feeding trough. An old, creaky, rough-hewn manger with bits of food possibly still stuck to the bottom of it. But you know what? It was perfect. She laid him in that feeding trough, and then she probably lay down and slept a little herself not knowing that very soon they would have some very strange visitors with an interesting story to tell them that night. The angel said, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A manger is basically a feeding trough for animals. It would be filled with grain and the animals would come up and they would eat out of it. Why did God choose to have his son laid in a manger of all places? If you think about it, the children of royalty, they were wrapped in the finest of linens. They were placed in cribs, probably adorned with silver and gold. But here the Son of God was wrapped up in probably rough swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus, the one who was now lying in this feeding trough, would one day proclaim, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He went on later in that same passage to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What, what do we proclaim every time we come to the Lord's table together? We talk about how Jesus instituted it, right? And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This one who was now lying in this feeding trough became the bread of life that grants us forgiveness and new life when we partake of him. Jesus began his life on earth, wrapped in strips of cloth and lying very possibly in a in a cave carved out in the dirt or the rock on the side of a hill. When he was taken from the cross and wrapped in strips of linen once again, he was also placed in a cave that had been carved out of the side of a hill. There are echoes of Jesus' birth in his death. There are foreshadows of his death in his birth. What did the angel tell Mary in Matthew's account? You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came to earth, to be born as a human, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, so that we could be saved from our sins. May we never forget that when we see the baby Jesus in the manger. There was an artist who painted a picture of the baby Jesus lying in the manger. 
Now, he painted it as if the manger were in more of a wooden stable or a barn. We don't know exactly what the structure was where Mary and Joseph ended up that night. It could have been a cave, it could have been a barn or a stable. But in his painting, he had the shadow of the beams of the stable shining down on the manger in the shape of a cross. And there were many people at that time who didn't like that. They thought he was degrading the birth of Jesus by putting the cross with him there in the manger. See, but I think it's a wonderful thought. Jesus came to earth to go to the cross. He was born as a human baby so that he could go to the cross and sacrifice his own life so we could be set free from our sins, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. When we hear the verses that speak of the baby in the manger, I hope that we will see the shadow of the cross there as well. Christmas should always point us to the cross and the empty tomb because that's why Jesus was born. That's why the Son was given. And as our candle today reminds us, He came and was given, first of all because we're sinners and we needed a Savior, but also because of God's wonderful love for us. So as you celebrate this Christmas, remember why Jesus came and give thanks to God for his most wonderful gift to you, wrapped up in his love with your name on it. Please pray with me. Lord, we are in the season of Advent where we focus on you and your coming to earth. But Lord, help us always to remember why you came. We can look at, at the baby Jesus in the manger and we can say, oh, well, it's so cute and so wonderful, and, but the cross is always there. So help us to remember why you came and to celebrate not only your birth, but your death and resurrection for us as well. Thank you that you came to be the Savior of the world. Thank you that you came to be my Savior. Oh, Lord. Your grace to us is so wonderful, so amazing. Thank you for touching our lives in such a special way. Receive our thanks and our praise and our adoration as we continue to worship you now in song. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>